Welcome back to another episode of Back and Forth with Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. My name is John Vandergriff. I am one of the owners and wealth planners here at Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. I am joined by all, or as always, by Zach Hill. Zach is our portfolio manager, our operations team lead, all-around good guy. Um, <laughs> he is currently not in the lead of our bracket. Um, no. But you know, not even close. We'll see if we'll see what happens. Crazy March Madness year this year uh, for those that haven't kept up with that. Um, you know, doing a, a different example of what we're going to talk about today, uh, which is uh, another extension of our behavioral finance series. Uh, we're going to be talking about mental accounting, and so you may be mentally accounting your time not toward March Madness, but that's not where we're going. <laughs> Today, um, you know, what we want to do, though, is obviously, as we've mentioned on each time that we've done the uh, behavioral finance topic, my background is psychology, Zach's is finance, and so behavioral finance is the topic, and that's pretty good back and forth to have, I think. So, so we're going to be looking at mental accounting, which is something that we all do, and I think that, you know, we... When we look at this, uh, Zach and I had talked about this previously, a lot of the things that are going on in behavioral finance are things that you do. It's just putting a name to it. Mm-hmm. And so as we look at this, it's, it's going to be talking about some healthy ways, unhealthy ways of using this, acknowledging that it is a real thing, uh, but then also how it applies to very practical decisions that need to be made in financial right. planning. So. Yeah, and I think it's, like you said, it's important to, uh, it puts a real-life perspective on a lot of things that are going on in academia of economics and finance, because that's really where this entire behavioral finance movement started, and behavioral economics uh, started, was because we've mentioned this before, but it's always worth mentioning again, is in economics, uh, economics always assumes that every person behaves rationally 100% of the time. You make the best logical decision at all times, and you're always doing a cost-benefit analysis of everything you do. I mean, even down to the small decision of how much water to drink a day or anything like that, you're just making perfect decisions every time. Uh, And in reality, that's just not what happens ever. I mean, people... Our people, we people make, are irrational a majority of the time. <laughs> right, so. exactly. We don't. We very rarely behave in the best way from an economics perspective. So, just um, what happened is really in the late nineties, uh, Richard Thaler and some other economists that he worked with came alongside that and said people don't behave rationally all the time, and we're going to try to explain that. And that's where you come in with a psychology perspective. Is they say, okay, if they don't, if they don't behave rationally, why? What's going on here? And so that's how we got mental accounting. And so if you want to look at one of the most basic definitions of mental accounting, it's, a, it's actually not bad at all. It's, and I'll read it here. It says, mental accounting is the set of cognitive operations used by individuals and households to organize, evaluate, and keep track of financial activities. Right. That was the first definition that Thaler gave to mental accounting. And all that sounds pretty great. And so when you look at that, you're like, yes, mental accounting is just organizing things. That's not a bad thing at all, but there are some pitfalls to mental accounting and there are some positives as well. Yeah. And and if you take it from the Investopedia definition, it probably puts more of a negative slant. And so we're going to look at the negative implications of it first, uh, but then also the positive or more practical uh, ways of doing it. So it says, uh, mental accounting refers to different values a person places on the same amount of money based on subjective criteria, often with detrimental results. And so, you know, what, what this does is it 
puts different weighting on the same amount of dollars depending on either how you come about getting them or what your mm-hmm. intention is for using them. You know, so like uh, whether somebody keeps money in a bank account versus a stock portfolio, you know, it's the same dollar. And, and like you had alluded to from an economist perspective, you look at it as, you know, where, where gives us the best benefit not necessarily what is the most practical use of that said dollar, you know. So, yeah. so as we look at that, you know, there are some very good reasons to separate the two, you know, depending on the outcome mm-hmm. that you would like it to have. But then also there are some things that not just from an investment perspective, but from a practical use, budgeting, all the things that come into kind of daily management of your financial situation that don't make a lot of logical sense that I think this definition of mental accounting is, is more referring to. Right. You know, so, so we use examples of this in, in some negative fashions where, uh, you know, the tax refund is a good example where this is effectively your money right. uh, that you paid in too much. Uh, to the government, and then they're holding it until you file your taxes and then giving it back to you. And so it is truly a refund where some people will look at that as, oh, man, this is free money that, you know, I've never made or I've never had any allegiance to. And so I can take that money and use it foolishly. Right. And I think it's the bonus fallacy where people get this bonus and they think they can just spend it however they want. And we saw that with it's Right now, we're sitting in the end of March, beginning of April, so a lot of people are starting to think about that tax refund and how they're going to spend it. And it seems to be most common that people do not allocate that like they would a normal paycheck. Because when you when you are in your budgeting, if you use a software or a spreadsheet or even just the old pen and paper, whenever you look at that, you think, oh, this is all bonus money I can do. You know, This is what I can use to book this vacation or, some, or do all these other things. When in reality, an economist's perspective would say, nope, you have to, you know, if you save 10% of your month of your, you know, biweekly paycheck or however you do that, you need to save 10% of this bonus check as well, or this tax refund or this stimulus check. We just had stimulus checks yeah. go out. And so a lot of people are looking at this as fun money. And that's really not how an economist would uh, allocate that money at all. They would, like you said, they would just, all money is created equally and all money should be allocated the exact same way every single time. Right. And again, you know, the goal when you do your taxes and to kind of go and divert the path a little bit is to try to get as close to zero as possible because that way the dollars that you make stay in your pocket longer uh, and you don't pay a penalty for that. You just try to get that honed mm-hmm. in where there's zero refund and therefore you have more flexibility and use of those dollars so that you're not giving a interest-free loan to the government for whatever period of time that you overpaid your taxes, you know, whether January 1 of the previous year, you're looking at, you know, 14, 15 months of money that's basically sitting there doing nothing. So, uh, so as you look at that, you know, it is in your best interest to try to get that to as much or as close to a net zero as possible, um, which we try to help people do um, with some tax planning. But then, like you said, that allows you to apply the same type of budgeting dynamics to these dollars. It's just you're not getting it in this lump of money that you neglected or forgot about. It's right. just hitting you every biweekly or paycheck that you get. So, Right. And I... And from an economist's perspective, this is all bad. You don't want to do this. This is a very, very negative thing. I think I... 
but then you get into the human perspective yeah. and the real answer to this, I mean, to this puzzle that we're solving here is it should all money be created equally. Like the economist says for some people, the answer is absolutely yes. Yeah. For some people they can afford to make concessions like using a stimulus money as a bonus check because they are so responsible with other parts of their money. So the answer to a lot of these questions and a lot of these things that we're proposing is what works for you. And I think that's important to think about too, but from an economist perspective, it's all that, you know, they consider it bad. Like you said, when you were reading the Investopedia definition, it seems to be universally negative here, yeah. but uh, there are some things that work, uh, you know, that can work for certain people. We saw that ba uh, as we're speaking of bonus checks or st stimulus checks or tax refunds, we saw that last summer when the first round of stimulus checks went out, a majority of people actually used this to pay down debt and cre consumer credit scores got substantially better during the pandemic and the personal savings rate went extremely higher. I mean, the personal savings rate in the U.S. has historically averaged between five and 10%. And that's really, I mean, we're looking at like 30 or 40 years. And then in the pandemic, it went up to th in the thirties. Yeah. And so as we look at that, we think like that's, that actually is a good way that people have mentally accounted for things. But from an economist perspective, this is all bad. They just, you know, we should just be doing the same thing all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that's not practical. Well, and two, the, the paradox that we look at between like a tax refund and a stimulus check Tax refund is money that you should have had, but you're getting it back. Uh, a stimulus check is money that you would have made later, but they're giving it to you now. You know, <laughs> so I mean, it's it's kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. Uh, but it's equally as negative if you blow it. I mean, it's going to cost exactly most of us a lot more than fourteen hundred dollars to pay back whatever we got <laughs> from that. You know, from a. a legislation past perspective, you know, it's going to cost <laughs> yeah. us a lot more than what we received out of it directly. Now, obviously government programs <laughs> and different things that went in place, but it's just one of those where it, it will be impactful and it shouldn't be something that just get, you know, exactly. get spent for no reason. So, you know, as we look at that, um, I think a lot of the behavioral finance parts that we look at are trying to highlight things so that it can encourage more disciplined behavior. Exactly. And and cuz again, if you're if you're a disciplined person in the way that you handle your finances, like mental accounting is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. You know, uh, confirmation bias is not a bad thing, it's a good thing when you're making good decisions. Right. You know, so when you're making bad decisions, all of these are negative, you know, so it, it exactly comes into how do you make decisions and, and what type of care do you make with those decisions as far as do you make decisions based on emotion? Do you make decisions mm -hmm. based on logic? Do you make decisions based on um, future, you know, or present right. needs, you know, or, or so? And the reality of this is the reason that mental accounting exists is because traditionally humans make bad financial decisions. I mean, right. it's if you're looking at the general population, I think it's over half of Americans don't have anything saved for retirement. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, there are all kinds of stats that can really scare you into the financial future of individual people because historically people have not behaved in their best financial interests. And so that's the reason that as we say this, mental accounting can be good and can be bad, but 
historically it's been bad because like we said is if you're a good mental accountant and you don't you know you budget everything in your head and you do a good job of it then it works for you but most people have to have a pretty strict budgeting regimen and they have to and they and they really need to treat all of these bonus stimulus tax refund checks as the same as their regular paycheck because they're having you know the, we've got to stay on track here we've got to stay on track to meet these goals and so uh, the the reason that this is pitched as we need to be aware and we need to start treating everything as the same is because automation seems to be one of the biggest tools to overcoming a lot of these behavioral biases. As we've talked about it before with automated 401k enrollment has greatly impacted the, for the better, uh, the savings accounts and retirement accounts of American individuals. Right. As when that was, when that was, uh, unveiled and created by, and by Richard Thaler to help this retirement savings crisis that it was universally positive across the board. Um, and so it's really all about automation. And so we can use mental accounting in good ways, but really it's highlighting and saying, we need to be automated here. You need to have this, the, you know, this check that's coming in needs to go to the exact same allocations as every other check that you get. Yeah. Cause I think one thing that we have told people, um, and seen from a practical management of money is we as human beings learn to live in whatever box we create for ourselves. So like if you have X dollars of money coming in, you figure out how to make things work in that or you change it to a box that you can work within. Right. You know what I mean? So, so when you look at a 401k, if that money never gets in that box, then you never spend it. And so it's about how do we get more regimented to where we shrink that uh, bucket of money that doesn't have a job, you know, and it goes exactly. into kind of a, a Dave Ramsey envelopes <laughs> principle, but hopefully right. with more encouragement than just a bunch of envelopes laying around <laughs> doing nothing. Um you know, it's, it's how do I divide this money to where, yes, I still have all the things that I need, but I'm not foregoing the future for the present because I'm just undisciplined or don't have any way to separate right. know, the, the thing. So, so I think that, you know, as we talk about it, it can be very negative to, um, you know, prioritize certain things. And, and we've even talked about situations where, you know, some aspects of mental accounting can be value buying, you know, buying things that you don't need because it's on sale right. is a poor and mismanaged way to handle finances, you know, so if we are more disciplined in our budgetary uh, needs, then you start to breach into, okay, well, how do I get more disciplined in the other areas of my life? Mm -hmm. You know, um, because I think more disciplined decisions lead to better decisions um, when it comes to obviously putting a name or a face to whatever you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that leads into more of the practical side of, of financial planning where, you know, as we look at um, somebody in retirement and, and preparing for that, what the big difference between that and the phase of life before that is not just, oh, I'm saving money and then now I'm not saving money. It's, right. It goes a little deeper to what do you actually want this money to do? You know, and so when you're in a position of, prepping for your future and, and you're asking your 401k not to provide liquidity because you're penalized to touch the money. You know, you're not asking it to provide income because you've got a job. You're asking it to basically grow and try to find the best pieces that give you the growth you need for the time that you have uh, before you need something else from it. And then 
as you get into retirement, because of the lack of pensions, because Social Security makes up a very small percentage of a lot of people's income, the jobs that you need this savings bucket to do need to be separated in a mental accounting function just so that you're using them properly. Right. And that's exactly what we get into is the positives if when you use it in the right way, and especially having a financial professional that can help you use it in the right way are the things where it really starts to make a lot of sense because you start to take out the mental aspect and it becomes just accounting because accounting for your finances is very good and everybody needs to do that. It's when the human behavior gets in there and the the mental side of mental accounting kicks in that it gets bad. So if you can take and having another person, like I said, a financial professional or somebody to walk alongside you to take that emotion out of it and just do that, you can start to allocate things. And we've talked about this a lot on, you know, whether it's risk buckets or how you want to do lifestyle or goals or whatever the planning style it is, then you start to think about these things in a completely different way because it's not you know, it's, it's not money you're coming in and trying to allocate. It's, this is my retirement and, or the, and this is the money that I'm going to use for my life. And how do I actually use this money now effectively and efficiently during retirement? Yeah. Cause I think if we were, and you can tell me from your perspective, if this is correct or not, but <laughs> the, the danger that exists today for the average person entering retirement is planning on taking a consistent income from a high-growth instrument? Oh, it's going to be extremely tough right now. We talk about it all the time. I mean, Mm -hmm. like you said, it has to be a high-growth instrument because your bonds are making zero. Retirees right now can rely on interest payments between zero and one. Right, as far as the consistent part. So it's and again, purely inside of a 401k structure where you're just limited to stocks and bonds. But a lot of people take those traditional investments, even though they have the flexibility to do something else outside of their 401k and just kind of stick to what they're used to, right. you know, either because financial professional you use limits the portfolios they use to just that, or um, you don't know what else to use and you just go and use what you've always used. Right. And so as you look at that, the only way someone in retirement should have a majority, if not all of their money in the stock market, is it if you either need nothing from your investments at yeah. all, you know, uh, or you are willing to take out withdrawals as inconsistently as your production is from your investment. Yeah, because that's you know, it's extreme. I mean, that's the most volatile asset that most people will invest in in their lifetime. And that, that's why so many people get in bad situations in retirement is because they don't know the the separation and the diversification, not just of different investments, but different jobs that you need your money to do yeah. and why that makes sense when you're in a new phase of life. Because there are investments out there today that provide income that is consistent. Mm-hmm. And if you need consistent income, those are a match. You know, there are investments that provide high growth over long periods of time. And if you need high growth over long periods of time for a portion of your money, hey, match those up. Right. If you need liquidity, you better find some things to keep your money liquid. You know, and it's just the more jobs that we ask one asset class to do, the worse it does. Exactly. And that's why you need to start. And you hear it, diversification all the time. Well, you can kind of pair up diversification and mental accounting here. Yeah. Because you have all of these different things working for one common goal, but a lot of different things that are that are working, you know, together 
to meet that goal, but they just have different goals within themselves. So we're start, yeah. we start to break it down and go a little bit further here. Well, and I think the, the thing that most investors need to do is they need to realize the mental side of that diversification right. where, you know, the stock portfolio that you have is needed, but it, it's very defined in what you need to use it for. And too many times people say, well, I want more growth than anything else, and that's going to fix all that goes wrong. And again, if it consistently grows and never goes down, that's good. But that, you know. <laughs> I was looking at this, I, well, as, as we were talking about it, I was looking at this because I was thinking, if you're asking yourself to take income out of a stock portfolio, that is not good. That's not a match. We need to do some mental accounting and real accounting and pull, you know, income needs somewhere else because as we saw one year ago, some of the one-day returns on March 12th, 2020, the S&P 500 lost 9.5%. On March 16th, 2020, the S&P lost 500 lost 11.98%. And so you're looking at that, I mean, on one day, the S&P 500 was down 12%. Yeah. You you cannot be looking for income out of that because, like you said, that's just not consistent at all. Now, there's some positives from a year ago, too, but it's all over the board. We're looking at massive up and down swings. And if you're just trying to get steady, stable income, this is not a place to look for that. And right. so having another bucket that can do something that provides that income is something that's very important. And we talk about that a lot, but we just haven't termed it as mental accounting. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. No, and so... Again, the key, you know, as, as we look at it will be, you know, just identifying what is it that I want my investments to do and then uh, kind of segmenting or, or we use buckets as a way to do that, you know, but putting your money in those buckets that corresponds to what you want your money to do. Right. And if you don't know what you want your money to do, that's job number one. And then you need somebody to show you other options that can provide that because there are more than just stocks, bonds, and cash to work with today. Exactly. And if you're getting, you know, if you want to introduce, let's say you're taking your income from a fixed index annuity, that's great. And you have a st steady, stable, consistent income out of that. Then when the stock market drops 30%, you're not tempted to go in there and sell it because you need income. You yeah. don't, you're like, nope, this is my, this is my, the portion of my portfolio that is, that I knew had a potential to lose 30 or 40% and I just have to hold it and my overall financial plan isn't disrupted because I've been getting income from this annuity or this other investment that I wanted to start taking withdrawals from and that's what that was for. Yeah, and and again as you go into that example the the important part is not just saying okay, well I need five different things for my money, so that means I need 20% in each one. Right. It, yeah. You've got to properly weight it to where if it takes 60% of your money to provide good, consistent income, you better position 60% of your portfolio toward <laughs> things that do that job only. Exactly. And then that gives you 40% of your money that's now flexible to be used for some of these other jobs, you know, depending right. on what you need from liquidity or, or future growth perspective. And it can be a very stark mindset shift. I mean, even we talk about this every day, but as somebody who is younger and has, you know, potentially 30, 40 years until retirement, I am in the stocks only mindset. I, that my money's got one goal and it's to grow, but I, trying to put myself in the retiree shoes, going from, oh, this is my 401k and I want it to grow to, oh, I need income from this is a lot. It's a, it's a very um, hard shift to yeah. make. And it's very tough to to walk through that transition. And so as we walk through that transition, your money goes from having one goal to potentially four or five, six goals. You've got to, you've got to split that up. And that, that mindset shift is why all of these behavioral biases exist, because it's, it, it actually is just really tough to watch that money that you've worked for, you know, maybe 50 years for 
and then start to start to take that much you start to watch that balance fall and mm-hmm. it's falling for a good reason but start to you know it's the exact opposite of what you were just doing for the last 40 or 50 years well and i think too sometimes mental accounting the the decisions that we struggle with in life are trained behaviors that we've taught ourselves to do so like you you're fighting against the the previous version of yourself that has been training for decades of don't worry about what this account says now. Right. I'm not needing this money today. Well, guess what? You're at the time you need it now. <laughs> and so it's got to be a mindset shift to say, okay, you know, I, I'm happy with this return. I'm happy with this value. You know, and as we tell people, you know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, it's not a loss until you realize it. Well, it's also not a gain until you realize it either. Right. You know, so so as you look at it, you've got to make sure that you keep the values at a level. And again, expose in the market the appropriate amount. We're not saying get all out of the market. It's just you better make sure you keep that number relevant to what your needs are from this bucket. And if you don't need anything from your bucket, you've got as much flexibility and invest that anywhere as you'd like to. You know, but it's in the same way we go through budgeting your income out uh, on a kind of pre-retirement standpoint to make sure you have enough to pay for groceries, utilities, all these different things, you better budget out the way you invest your money so that you can be in a position to account for all the different things that you need this money to do, but also recognize uh, what you're asking that money to do and, and not not be disappointed with the lack of production that you've got. Right. You know, because it's um, it, it is one of those conversations that we do have. And, and I know from my seat, I would rather explain why we didn't make more money for a client than apologize for losing too much at the wrong time. You know, I right. mean, it's, it's all returning back to a focus on if we keep our focus on what we need our money to do, then that helps mm-hmm. us make decisions in the right frame of mind. And so many of these conversations that we have on the podcast uh, always come back to risk tolerance and mm-hmm. it's finding out you know, and finding out what your true risk tolerance is, because like you said, you want to you want you don't want to explain why we lost too much money because that that means that we didn't we weren't in the right right risk category. Yeah. And so finding that true risk tolerance for, you know, not only an individual but also all of these individual buckets of money as well. And so using, I mean, it's just every time we talk about this, I'm just thinking so much of this revolves around risk. Mm-hmm. And how much, and what your risk appetite is, what if you're allocating risk correctly in a portfolio, and all those different things, it always comes back to risk. Yep. Yep. So, you know, as you look at it, um, hopefully this discussion has been enlightening to you from the aspect of mental accounting is something that we do. Uh, the way that we take advantage of that is add discipline into the decisions that we're looking at making, uh, both from a what are we doing with the month-to-month income that we have coming in, but also how do we make sure that our investments are reflecting the current needs that we have or, or future needs, too, because, right. I mean, we've always got to balance current versus future uh, in that equation. But I think the more the more things that we're asking our money to do, the more complex or diverse we need to make our investments mm-hmm. and not just because it needs to be complicated it's just because the the three things that everybody's looking for today is safety on your money growth and <laughs> access problem is you can't get all three of those in one <laughs> right. place so as we look at that you've got to build something that allows you to have those three but also the derivatives of those three which mm-hmm. may be you know consistent income, inflation protection, you know, all the different things that we try to go about creating a plan for. But if we if we do it in a way where we understand and link our mind to what these things can do, 
then that helps us build something that's actually productive and, and we can anchor ourselves to that right and, and kind of make decisions in that context i guess so anything else to add before we wrap up here <laughs> No, I think I think that's a pretty good summary. I think you hit the nail on the head where it's it's all about being aware that this exists and how to use it and taking take the mental part out of the mental accounting and try to be as objective as you can while still using the tools that you can from the from mental accounting. Yeah. Well, good deal. Well, hopefully you enjoyed this. We'll have another installment of behavioral finance in one of our podcasts, but it'll be I don't know whichever number is, <laughs> is coming up next. Uh, but uh, thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, hopefully you learned some things. We look forward to um, going back and forth on another topic. But until then, you know, be good stewards of your money, uh, not just for our sakes, but so you don't blow your stimulus and tax refunds <laughs> until we talk again. So uh, that's all. Back and forth, Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. Investment advisory services offered through Blue Ridge Wealth Planners, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Madison Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, MAS, and Blue Ridge Wealth Planners are not affiliated companies.